good to see all of you tonight. We appreciate the effort that you've made to be with us. And we look forward to studying in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And we'll be picking up in verse 10. Now, I want to say that I apologize to you. I did send the questions out by way of email. I forgot to bring copies of those questions this evening. I apologize for that. Um, what I'll do, though, is I will read the question, and we will use the questions as a basis or an outline for our study, so we, at least we will know what they are and some answers to those questions. What I'd like to do, though, is in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 10, but I want to back up to the beginning of the chapter and read down through verse 14 for the flow and context. So let's begin in Colossians chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to the glorious power, his glorious power, for all patience and longsuffering with joy." giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Correctly read reads those passages that are found in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verses 1 through verse 14. As we begin in verse 10, though, for our study, the question reads, how does one walk worthy of the Lord? And may I just say before we go any further that there is no way that we will ever be worthy of Jesus Christ. There's never anything that we can do in our life that would make us worthy of what Jesus has done for us. We are still always, no matter what, going to be um, an unprofitable servant saved by grace. We understand that. But there's a difference between being worthy of someone and being worthy of being a servant of someone. So in our life, we will never be worthy of what Jesus did by way of our own value or worth, but we can be worthy of being a servant. In fact, that's what that, that phrase means there, to walk worthy of the Lord, means to walk in a way that is befitting a servant of him and to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. So in other words, it's not that we're perfect. And it's not that we reach some higher level of perfection in any way, shape, or form. It's a matter of our demonstrating in our life the works of obedience of a servant. 
And that's how you walk worthy of the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about ways that we are walking worthy. Like, for example, as the Bible says, for as he is holy, let us also be holy. We have to live a holy life. We have to live a life that is upright. We have to live a life that is truthful. These are characteristics of the child of God. And really, that's what we are. We are a servant of the king. We're a servant of Jesus. Now, if you look at the question, it says... How does one walk worthy of the Lord? You can look at the outline of this verse, and that's verse 10. And from a general perspective, you could see how that's just laid out for us. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those are three ways that we can do that. And being fruitful, obviously, in every good work really means to bear fruit and follow the things that we must do, the good things that are required of us in the gospel. That's how we bear fruit in every good work. But I want to notice this phrase about increasing in the knowledge of God. The use, the use of the word increasing there shows that a Christian is not satisfied with his present degree of good works. What's that mean, being satisfied? Sometimes we can feel as though we're satisfied with however far we've grown and feel like we don't need to grow anymore. And really, the idea of increasing here shows it is not a destination. It is a, it is a lifelong thing. So to walk worthy of the Lord means to continue in these things and to increase in the knowledge of God. And uh, sometimes that is from the aspect of having us grow in our life, sometimes pushing our comfort levels. Now, the growth that we must have, though, has to be in accordance with the knowledge of God. And that knowledge is to be obtained through Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we'll get to this soon when we get to chapter 2, but I want to read these verses. In chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3, Colossians 2, 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it is always based on proper knowledge. Proper knowledge has to be the basis for our growth and for um, our increase. So how do we walk worthy of the Lord? We do so by being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that brings us to verse number 11. And verse 11 says, Strengthen with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Sometimes we think that we can't achieve something because we don't feel like we have the strength. This passage here, this verse here is so encouraging because alongside the command to walk worthy of the Lord is also the promise that we're going to be strengthened. So in other words, we're going to have the strength that we need. In fact, strengthen with all might, it says. So in other words, as one learns more about the truth and walks more faithfully in it, he is strengthened by the might of God. You know, there are things that I just don't understand. I don't understand how God does everything, and I'm okay with that. I think that there are things that we can't know. And what really taxes people today is when they wrestle with and they worry about the things that they cannot know. I freely admit there are things that I cannot know. For example, 
I don't know how God does it. I just know he does. I don't know how God achieves everything that he wants to achieve. I just know that he does. If the promise is there that he does, then we know that he does. So however it is that God does this, as I increase in the knowledge of God, and I increase in the works that are found written in the word of God that I must do, the good works, I'm going to be strengthened in able to do that. I'm going to be strengthened to the point that I don't have to be weak. I don't have to fall. I don't have to fail. I can be strengthened. In fact, he says, according to his glorious power. You know, there's a similar expression found in Ephesians 3.16, and it says, according to the riches of his glory. And that suggests that God supplies, God's supply is limitless. But then he says, for patience and long-suffering. You know, patience and long-suffering are similar, but they're a little different. So, in other words, we're going to have the strength for patience and long-suffering with all joy. So, what's patience? Patience looks at the enduring of something difficult, like a circumstance. The Christian has to have patience, and when the Bible talks about patience, it is talking about something that is like perseverance. It is, it is able to withstand whatever circumstance comes our way that's negative. So God is going to give us strength for patience through the circumstances, but not just patience, but also long-suffering. What's the difference? Long-suffering looks at enduring difficult people. Sometimes in life we endure difficult people. It's patience when we endure a difficult circumstance. It's long-suffering when we have to endure difficult people. And Paul says we're, we, the promise is we have the strength of God. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, there's no way that we can be qualified on our own merit. There's no way. Sometimes people really misunderstand, especially in the religious world, the difference between being qualified because God qualified us and therefore we have nothing to do in our life. We have no responsibility. We have nothing on our part and works don't count. That's, that's a religious uh, position in the world. But in this case, we do have works that we have to do. And by because of that, God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That's the question. What does the phrase mean? Well, interestingly, the word qualified us, those two English words, come from one Greek word, and it means this, to make sufficient, to empower, or to authorize. So in other words, no human being can be worthy of a salvation provided by the Lord, and if it was based on our own merit, without God qualifying us, then we would be we would be fit candidates to have the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. But Paul said this, we give thanks to the Father because the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So, God has qualified us because Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And through the finished work of Jesus Christ, God has qualified us, but hold that thought because we have responsibility too. Saints in the light, that phrase there means 
Those who have fashioned their lives after the light of divine truth as revealed in the gospel. So it's interesting. Light is also a characteristic of everything pertaining to the inheritance of the saints. So there's two things that light is described. One, light is, to, is connected to truth. And by the way, when Jesus talked about the fact that he told his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. He was saying that you are the luminaries to take the light of the gospel to the world that's in darkness. And we're going to get to darkness in just a minute. So light is oftentimes referred to as truth. But in this case, in that statement, in this passage, it's also referring to heaven one day, a place of light, a place of the inheritance. Now, when you talk about being in the light and you talk about darkness that's in the world, we realize that in the world, the entire world is darkness. And the only light that the, dark, that the world that's in darkness sees is the Christian taking the light of the gospel. And so we take the light of the gospel and we demonstrate that we are the light of the world by our life. And we demonstrate that light to the world so people can see their way out of darkness. And we are saints in the light, as the passage says. And partakers of the inheritance of saints in the light. So we're qualified. And God does that. God has qualified us because of Jesus and what Jesus did for the sins of the world. Also, our eternal home will be a world of light, as God is light and dwells in light. Okay, so verse 13. The question is, define the following words in this verse. And verse 13 is this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So, this is a very familiar passage and one in which we quote all the time. Because we're talking about two kingdoms and there's only two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of God's dear son. So you can be a really good person and you can be in darkness because you are not a Christian. So we quote this passage over and over and over again to show that the child of God is taken from the kingdom of darkness and has been transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's the King James on that passage. So understand this. If light is of God, then darkness has to be of Satan. And Satan is the God of this world. And the domain of Satan is the world. The child of God leaves that which is darkness and goes to light, and God is light. So, what's the word delivered mean? The word delivered means to draw to oneself or to rescue Jesus said, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. I want to make a, a point about this passage, okay? The emphasis is placed on Jesus Christ. Some people think this means if I lift Jesus up in my life and people see Jesus lifted up in my life, then it will draw all people unto Jesus Christ. That's not what that means. That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus said is, if I be lifted up, meaning on the cross... All the emphasis is on the death of Jesus and what he did in his sacrifice will draw all men unto me. So we are delivered. We are drawn to oneself or rescued. And that is because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. 
Jesus dying on the cross was the event that will rescue man from darkness. But the only way that one can reap the benefit of that event is to be baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. So, when we talk about we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, we've been delivered by the kingdom of darkness because Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. But we don't reap the benefit of that until we are baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, then the word power. The word power means rule or government, suggesting an organized reign, not merely power to do something. So in other words, when you're under the power of darkness, you are under the reign of darkness. And um, that is anything that is not uh, in Christ. Darkness means ignorance also respecting divine things and human duties. Now, I just said that darkness represents the world, and it does. But have you ever stopped to consider that darkness also means ignorance? There's a lot of people in the world that are wonderful people, but they're ignorant of the truth. So when somebody is transferred from the kingdom of darkness, it's also they've been delivered from ignorance. They've been delivered from ignorance that's kept them away from divine things. That all happens at baptism also. So he that is under rule of the evil one is under the power of darkness from the service and dominion of the devil. And you know, I think that's a, it's kind of a harsh way to put it, but it's really the way that it is. There's only two kinds of king, two kingdoms and two kinds of people. Jesus died that we might be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. And that happens at baptism. All right, so now verse 14. The verse reads, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The word redemption means to deliver by payment of a ransom and was used of freeing slaves from bondage. Here it refers to Jesus Christ freeing sinners from slavery to sin, the slavery of sin. Okay. You might remember this. It's been years. It's been a few years. But I preached a sermon on redemption. The whole thing was on the wonder of our redemption. And I brought in a phrase because of the definition of this word about paying a ransom. I told you a little story about what a king's ransom really meant. And sometimes we look at the fact that something is a great big price. So there's a term we use. Oh, he paid a king's ransom for that. Meaning... In today's vernacular, he spent a whole lot. He paid a great price. But that phrase, a king's ransom, goes all the way back to the days of the Crusades. And it happened when a man was a king and he was loved by his people. But he was captured by the enemy and he was kept into bondage. And all the people loved him so much that they gave in the coffers. And, I'm, and I read where the coffers were overflowing with large sums of money. Even the rich people gave. Everybody gave. The idea was they paid a ransom to buy back from bondage their king. And that's where we get the term a king's ransom. And by the way, they took those large sums of money. They took that large sum of ransom and it bought the king back from bondage. That's what happens to the child of God. When we are redeemed, we are bought back through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And really, we are so thankful for that because we are a slave to someone. Sometimes people think, no, not me. I'm, I'm my own man. I get to do whatever I want, and I'm my own person. Sometimes we say that when we're about 18, and it doesn't get better until you're deep into your 20s sometimes. But really, we are bought, and we are under the domain of something. We are owned by something. And whoever we obey, that's the servant that we are. In Romans chapter 6, Paul said, But God, we thank that you were the servant of sin. No longer are you the servant of sin, though, because you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered you. We know what that is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So, when we were the servant of sin, it was before the blood of Jesus was applied. But after that, we no longer are the servant of sin. We've been bought back and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, we therefore have a ransom. Retirement, there's nothing in the Bible that says that we're retired from being a Christian. We don't ever retire. And preachers don't retire either. They just die. They just get old and die. But preachers don't retire either. There's no retirement for a servant of Jesus Christ. And sometimes when you get older, you have more time. You have more time to devote to things that perhaps if somebody's working 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, and they're a younger person with a family, they don't have time for. But an older person that has of retirement age has more time to do that. The value of an older person is just incredible, that we, and we need that. And you know, you're, you're absolutely right. We don't ever retire uh, in our service to God, ever. And really, everybody has a work that they could do. Uh, there's folks in our congregation I could list specific things that I know that they do. And that's a work that they do. That's something that they provide, and all of it's necessary and all of it's needed. Uh, I just want to flow these verses together and summarize them quickly. In verse 10, we're told to walk worthy of the Lord. We do that by being a servant. We do that by doing the things that are pleasing to him. How do we do that? Be fruitful in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. Don't worry about not being able to do that because verse 11 says we're strengthened with all might. That's the might of God. And according to his glorious power, for what? That we'll be able to have patience. That's endurance of the things that are circumstances, difficult circumstances. And long-suffering, which is endurance through people or difficult people also, both. We give thanks to God who has what? He's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That's talking about the inheritance that the child of God will have one day. We've been qualified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So really these are great passages of encouragement. These are positive passages of encouragement that we can live the Christian life, we can do our part. But if you look at the part that God has done, it's so much greater than what we could ever do. God did the sending of his son. Jesus died for the sins of the world and shed his blood. Therefore, we need to be a servant that is serving him in a worthy manner all the days of our life. And if it gets difficult, God's going to give us the strength that we can do it. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, 
please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.